This episode of No Wrong Answers is brought to you by the Kauffman Foundation, investing in educators and lifting up the Kansas City region, which is dedicated to learning together to improve educational and economic success. Learn more at Kauffman.org. Thirteen Reasons Why is back, and with it, fears and hand-wringing over its effects on kids who are struggling with suicidal thoughts. That conversation, plus some people are calling for a nationwide boycott of schools to force legislative change on gun control. We ask our teachers to imagine what that could look like. And finally, a landmark legal decision regarding which bathroom a trans student can use. Our teachers say, can we now move past this bathroom debate, please? All that and kids these days on this edition of the No Wrong Answers podcast. Welcome to No Wrong Answers, the weekly podcast that gives you a teacherly take on the world. I'm your host, Kyle Palmer. I'm a former teacher turned journalist, and I'm joined, as always, by a group of hardworking teachers who are ready to talk, so let's introduce them. Maria Kennedy, welcome back. What do you teach? I teach AP U.S. History. Rebecca McIntosh, what do you teach? I teach students at an alternative school, elementary kids. And Jason Staliga, what do you teach? Honors in advanced science at a local high school. All three of them are educators at public schools in the Kansas City metro area. Let's get to our first topic. Teen suicide is, for better or worse, back in the spotlight. Controversial Netflix series 13 Reasons Why, which depicts the aftermath of a high school student's suicide, recently released its second season to much attention and not a little bit of criticism and hand-wringing. And also two new studies focused on the potential causes and consequences of teen suicide have been published in the last month or so, painting a fuller and possibly more disturbing picture of recent trends in suicide and suicidal thoughts and ideation among American teens. We've talked about this topic before last year when season one of 13 Reasons Why came out, and we wanted to revisit this conversation in light of some of this latest news. So uh, my first question to the teachers here on this episode, from a teacher's perspective, how do you greet the release of season two of 13 Reasons Why? Full disclosure, I haven't seen it. Yeah, me neither. I haven't. Neither I don't intend I. to see it. I'm not going to watch. I started the book and didn't finish. This is not something, I don't want to say of interest, but this is not something I'm going to watch to bring in to my, to my circle. Personally. Did you watch season one? Just I to did get not. It, yeah. I did not. This is, I, is this something you stayed away from? It sounds like you stayed, I away, stayed from. away from. Yeah. I did. Yeah, because me too. I heard some of the outside noise going on around it. I have gone to look at some of the so-called supporting information that Netflix has put out in an effort to respond to some of the feedback from season one. And it's a little thin. I'm a little disappointed in that. Uh, to Rebecca's point, the, the creators of the show have uh, added a message that is broadcast before each of the episodes that's now in season two, read by the actors of the show, I think in an attempt to, maybe cynically you would say, head off some of the criticism that season one got, but I, I think also, well, let me just, I have a clip of it. Let's just play a clip of, of that warning message that's played before the episodes of season two of of 13 Reasons Why. By shedding a light on these difficult topics, we hope our show can help viewers start a conversation. But if you are struggling with these issues yourself, this series may not be right for you, or you may want to watch it with a trusted adult. And if you ever feel you need someone to talk with, reach out to a parent, a friend, a school counselor, or an adult you trust. Call a local helpline or go to 13reasonswhy.info. Because the minute you start talking about it, it gets easier. Uh, so broadly speaking, there are, there are kind of like two camps about this show. One camp kind of says um, this is an irresponsible depiction of of suicide, and 
um, has been really damaging to people who are, are thinking about suicide or, or ideating about suicide. Another camp says this has sparked a conversation. I mean, do you, do you buy that this is sparking a conversation that needs to be had? And, and we will get into some more uh, research beyond just this TV show. But I think um, in your experiences in schools, um, is this something that is sparking a conversation? Like Maria and Jason, you said last year when season one was really hot, uh, there were kids talking about it. And not so much this year so far with season two. But, I mean, is it in that way serving a purpose? I think if this is a doorway to that conversation with students, then that's a good thing. And you certainly don't want to have a situation out there where you're avoiding talking or confronting or looking at what our kids deal with. And these are those things that they deal with. What I think is interesting about, <clears throat> sorry, that clip is uh, it's actually the timing in which they're going to release this season. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're concerned about kids who are depressed and anxious watching this second season, then why would you release it at the very end of the school year when the, the structural supports that school districts put into place to help our kids are no longer there. Uh, well, 13 Reasons Why Notwithstanding, there are actually a couple of new pieces of research out in the last month or so that also has people talking, um, especially in education circles, and I wanted to touch upon some of those. Uh, a study published in May in the Journal of Pediatrics analyzed hundreds of thousands of high school students' responses to the California Healthy Kids Survey. So this was just students in California. That survey um, asks kids a whole range of questions about experiences with things like bullying and suicidal thoughts and feelings of belonging. On average, one in five students in this survey answered yes to the question, during the past 12 months, did you ever seriously consider suicide? One in five students said yes to that question. Um, That's what the researchers refer to as suicidal ideation. Here's the kicker for schools, and this is what I really wanted to ask you all about. Suicidal ideation rates among students in this survey ranged widely across schools. So some schools had a rate as low as 4%. Other schools had rates as high as 67%. That is, two out of three students at one school were ideating suicide or thinking seriously about suicide. The schools with higher suicide ideation rates also had higher reported rates of bullying, fighting, and victimization based on discrimination. The implication for the study's authors being there is a real impact a school's environment has on whether kids are thinking about and contemplating suicide. As teachers, how does this finding or this research impact you? Well, I think it just underscores for me the impact of and the importance of that trauma-informed instruction to understand the cultural competency issues, to understand the crisis that so many kids are living in that underpins absolutely every aspect of of what's happening at school. That gap is huge, though, right? I mean, some schools, 4% of kids, which is not a lot. I mean, still 4%. That's that's, troubling, but 4%, it's not up to 67%. I mean, like what's going on in, in schools and between schools that would create... That, and and I'm, that gonna difference. Need, I'm gonna need some more information. Was one of those schools an alternative school? Yeah. It was one of those schools under more duress than other schools. Was mm-hmm. one of those buildings <clears throat> experiencing more change or crisis than another? Has the student population has the student population undergone changed? more trauma right. than other student populations? Right. I'm not sure that's an apples to apples situation. Yeah, and I think there are a couple things at, at play here. One there's an implication, I think there's a risk of saying if a school has uh, a population in which 67% of students report suicidal ideation, saying the school environment is causing that, I think it's a little bit chicken and egg. Is the school environment causing that or is the student population coming in with higher needs that aren't necessarily being met? 
my suspicion is it's probably somewhere in the middle and it's a little bit of both. That being said, I also, Rebecca, wanted to go back to your point about cultural competence. There's a really interesting Rucker study from 2017, and they found that black adolescents manifest depression and anxiety in different ways, which I, my, so for the, for the audience, I teach predominantly African-American students and about 80 to 90% of students qualify for a free and reduced price lunch. And so when I read that study, I was blown away. But one of the things that they mentioned was that depression and anxiety manifest within interpersonal struggles and physical pain. Whereas with other populations, it's more of the stereotypical like sadness or you just look down that to me was eye-opening because I had not considered the idea or the possibility that these mental health issues could be manifesting in different ways in different populations. So I'm wondering, too, like, are schools catching these things? Because without that knowledge, well, I think now that, now that I have that framework, I am seeing students not in a, in a new way, but I'm much more cognizant of like when I have a student who's complaining multiple days a week of a headache or a stomach ache and asking to, to go to the nurse um, as a teenager. So there's not it's not the same as like with elementary. I'm wondering, like, does the student have deeper uh, mental health needs that I need to be aware of and support? Uh, can schools, though, exacerbate or enhance uh, in environmental conditions that would, uh, I guess, make suicidal thoughts worse? You know, if you're not dealing with bullying, if you're not yeah. talking openly about discrimination or victimization or you're not uh, or the administration is not at least perceived to be, you know, dealing with students equitably. Yeah, I think it has to go back to the structures that they put into place uh, and dealing with the behavior when the behavior happens. Uh, a lot of times what I've noticed in my career is that a particular behavior will manifest itself and it will grow and it'll grow. And then finally, a month or two months or three months later, then you start to address the behavior at hand. So if there's fighting in the hallways or if there's bullying happening in the hallways, uh, students are reporting it. It may not necessarily be dealt with immediately. And because it's, that immediacy isn't there, it, it continues to perpetuate itself. And, and from a teacher standpoint, I always tell my kids, you know, this is a safe space. And if there's ever a point where I feel like it's crossed the line to actually address why it's crossed the line so that everybody has a broader picture of what it means to to live in a very diverse world. Mm -hmm. um, just for example, real quickly, you know, I had a kid who walked in and he, he was upset and you could tell that his shoulders were slumped and he wasn't looking good. I said something to him and he was like, I hate this class. And it was just an expletive out of nowhere. And a young teacher would have been like, you're going to the office. And I sought out uh, the social worker and I took him down there and I said, I think he's having a bad day. And lo and behold, somebody in his family was shot the night before. And it's just it's making that keeping that thought process in your head that if you see a behavior that is atypical of that student to ask why they're behaving in that way. I think that's critical. I had a mm -hmm. fifth grader that the bus driver caught and we did a suicide assessment that morning. I mean, just the, just last the, week. Just the, last week. How did the bus driver, what did the bus driver catch? There were, he was listening to the conversation and he could tell from her physical posture that she was not herself and that something had occurred. And we knew that the bus driver had called that in even before the uh, kid arrived at school. And then what did you do after that? You said you went through a suicide assessment. There's a, we have a process. We were trained. We know who to connect that student with. And we had parents on board and the counselors on board and social workers on board. And everybody was aware that some extra support was needed there that morning, even before the bus arrived at school. You know, another study published in May in 
Pediatrics, and that is different from the Journal of Pediatrics, which I referenced earlier, but this other study uh, shows the number of kids and teens hospitalized for suicidal thoughts or attempts has more than doubled in the United States from 2008 to 2015. Increases were seen in all age groups, but were highest among teens aged 15 to 17, followed by adolescents aged 12 to 14. Have you noticed a change over time? Does that does that research comport with what you see among students that suicidal thoughts are becoming more prevalent? Um, suicide attempts, God forbid, are are happening more. This is a mental health issue for me. This is not. I I absolutely believe that data because the beds and the supports and the mental health su- services that were available five years ago are no longer available. The wait time for us our students to get services is so long. You're just talking about social services beyond so, school. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, when I started teaching, if we had a kid in crisis, we could find them facility or a therapist or there was a bed we could check in for 30 days for an assessment. We could get meds regulated. There were, there were a lot of services we could put in place for that family that are no longer there or are not quickly accessible. So I absolutely believe that because now we have to have a kid actually perform an act of self-harm before we can get them admitted somewhere. Then so you that can't number, get them the service. That number to you may not reflect the fact that more kids are trying to commit suicide. It may be the fact that there is being there is less being done proactively before they get to the point where where they are are, are really actually trying to do it. That's what it feels like to me. It feels like we don't have that toolbox that we used to have of outside supports, different places we could refer, different services, different partnerships we had. Um, as a school district that were available to us to use, those have gotten narrower and narrower and more condensed and more consolidated. And it's difficult to find family services. Our podcast today is sponsored by the Kauffman Foundation, learning together with families, educators, entrepreneurs, and innovators to develop quality education that prepares all of Kansas City students for the future of learning and work. Join the conversation by visiting Kauffman.org or on Twitter at Kauffman. FDN. Well, former U.S. Education Secretary Arne Duncan has a crazy idea. He says American school parents, that's all 50 million of them or so, should boycott school. That is, pull their kids from school until Congress passes stricter gun laws. This was actually the original idea of one of Duncan's former colleagues inside the Obama Education Department, but Duncan caught on and began tweeting about it recently, and other education notables like Teach for America founder Wendy Kopp have also lent support for the idea. But really, a nationwide boycott of schools? We wanted to ask our teachers about this and also about the most recent mass shooting at a school, this one in Santa Fe, Texas. But... Um, to Duncan first, I mean, he himself admits in an interview with The Atlantic that this boycott idea is, is radical and uh, meant to be thought-provoking. Still, he does seem to have a strategy forming. He says he's looking at possibly trying to organize something around Labor Day when many schools around the country are just coming back from summer break. He says that would give him the summer to build momentum, engage whether support for a boycott is growing. Uh, so for my teachers here, is this in any way a serious idea? There's a reason why we, the NEA, called for his resignation in July of 2014. Not to get, not to get oh, too political Arnie. about it. No, how, Arnie. how we've missed you. Not. You know, a superintendent of CPS, he should know better than Chicago any, Public Schools. Chicago right? Public yeah, yeah. Schools, sorry. That kids go to school to feel safe. And that the majority of our kids 
who are in rural areas and urban areas do not have, parents don't have the opportunity to take time off of work, to pay for daycare, uh, in order to support, support such a boycott. These kids need to be in school, they need to be learning, they need to be being educated. Uh, it's just another example of him misinterpreting the needs of our students uh, across the country. Yeah. Fundamentally, un- not understanding the role yeah. that the public school plays in the communities that these kids come to us from. Maria, play yeah. de- devil's advocate? No? <laughs> I, I don't know if there's any devil's advocating for that one. But I would say I, I, I don't disagree at all. I think it's very telling that this idea is even on the table. Mm-hmm. Can we actually just like stop for a second and evaluate that? Somebody who was the Secretary of Education, and not only him, but also Wendy Kopp, who's the founder of Teach for America, and, oh, uh, what's his name? Oh, Jim Manley, the superintendent of New York City KIPP schools, mm-hmm. also came out and spoke in support of this. So, so prominent, so three, serious mm-hmm. people in education. Yeah, serious people. You can agree or disagree with them. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. Ostensibly okay. serious well. people, yes. <laughs> I, not, I think not public educators. Let's be clear. Mm-hmm. These are not proponents of public education. Well. Right. We can debate that. Yeah, I, I, yeah, we can debate that later. But I would say, but what I think is, what I would say is like three people who have uh, stake in and capital within the education sector, whether you agree with their policies, disagree, they're players. And so we have like three major people who are saying, yeah, like actually we should do this. What has happened to get to this point? I really interpret this. Duncan said it was a radical move. I interpret this as an act of desperation and an act born out of deep frustration at the recalcitrance of the issue. All right, here's another layer. So let's think about it. Let's parallel this with the teacher walkouts and the teacher strikes in West Virginia, in Kentucky. What was the other state? Colorado. Arizona, North Carolina. Yeah, Arizona was Colorado. the one I was thinking. Great. There are <laughs> North many. Carolina. Okay, so let's think about this. I, on a district level, I don't think this would be effective. But one thing that we've seen, West, let's just use the West Virginia example, when all the teachers, when everybody is like, great, we're out, and like, here are all the reasons why, and we're not coming back until these demands are met. People had a lot of feelings about that. I mean, I'm from Kentucky. I had folks calling me saying like, whoa, like, what do you think about this? But I would say it worked. It worked in West Virginia, for example, when teachers said, yeah, like, actually, we're not coming back and here are all the reasons why. People debated the, the morality of that because, again, like, kids weren't getting to go to school. They didn't have that safe place and space. So I think, again, you can debate. There, there's moral issues at play here as well. It's, it's layered. It's complicated. But I wonder, like, district level, me, I would say no. I wonder if at the state level, students were to walk out, I wouldn't say for a day. It would have to be, like, I think there would have to be. And, and logistically, I, I, I don't know that that's even possible. And I'm also not saying that I support it or advocate for it. I'm just in this, like, I don't know. What do you think? <clears throat> yeah, I was trying to think if, if the school board was our legislative body, how that would be impacted if – all the teachers and the students just said, no, we're not going to school. And would the school board be able to pass a resolution that would call for gun control in the state? If if that worked, then schools throughout the state would have to then combine together and school boards would have to combine together. And the MSBA, the Missouri School Boards Association, and then all the Missouri National Education Association, the Missouri Retired Teachers Association, all the associations then have to politically pool together for this particular fight. And then it would have to be convincing the legislature to see the real causes behind uh, school violence that is happening. It would have to be one domino to the next domino to mm-hmm. the next domino. 
and we'd have to make sure that everything was evenly spaced so that at the end, the final domino would fall. Because if there's a gap, then the sequence stops. Beyond just this idea of boycotting school, I think, Maria, you mentioned that it kind of indicates the sense of desperation maybe that some people, uh, proponents especially, of more gun control feel around this issue. And and that is something that Arnie Duncan did uh, touch upon. He did also uh, mention the the, the teacher actions over the past few months as a, as a potential model. But I, I wonder, shifting now to, to what happened in Santa Fe, Texas, just a couple of weeks ago, many people, many commentators, many journalists, everybody just noted how muted the national response was to mm-hmm. the Santa Fe shooting compared to what happened in Parkland a couple of months before. Um, the Santa Fe shooting, we should say, left eight students dead, two teachers dead. Did you as teachers feel that, that the, the, it happened and then it was gone? I felt it. Absolutely. You could tell immediately that it was off the radar. And then Indianapolis happened. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean... Well, yeah, I mean, another school I mean, shooting yes. in which, in which I mean, a, a teacher you know, was shot three another times. Another one happens. Yeah. Um, it just goes back to what a panelist said a couple of weeks ago when we had this discussion, because we talk mm-hmm. about this all, at least once a month now, which is a shame, is that it's just become so commonplace that it happens, we, we register it, we say... It happened again. Is that? I mean, is that we, really it though? Because that didn't happen after Parkland. So yeah, what, it didn't. What, I think it's different because it was Texas, and I think the context of this one was different. And Texas allows their teachers to be armed, and Texas is an open carry state, and Texas is a gun first culture. I think that was difficult for any sides of this debate to frame their message again because the context was different. As Jason said, we, we've talked about this a lot, and on a previous podcast, teachers have said. That, you know, yeah, they were maybe excited to see the activism of the Parkland students, but also even at that time in the immediate aftermath of when all that was happening, that they still kind of worried that there would not be any kind of long-term momentum or sustainability to that political movement. Uh, They openly asked then, and I I can't remember exactly which teacher it was, but um, they asked, you know, would students both in Parkland and around the country, you know, essentially keep it up? Like, would would it be something that would sustain their interest, sustain their, um, their passion? I mean, can we come into any conclusions to that now? I mean, are, were, were you maybe disappointed that th- there wasn't like a, a student, a continuation of the student movement after Santa Fe? Well, I think, at least for my students, the whole movement is towards November. Mm-hmm. I think we'll, we'll have a really good sense of this movement uh, when we have the, the midterm elections in 2018. Because a lot of the push at my high school during the walkout was about getting registered to vote and making sure you showed up to the polls. And that's, that's what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting to see what's going to happen in the midterms in 2018 to see if the momentum of, of this will continue on. And I think the, the amazing piece of, of Parkland that was David Hogg, that was Emma Gonzalez, is not going to happen. God, I can't believe we say it this way. You know, when this happens, we're not going to have a David and an Emma every time. But David and Emma have continued to work and they're being successful in their work and there's still momentum behind their work underscores the work that they're doing. I mean, it just reinforces their message. Well, we'll have to pick up that conversation um, at another point. But um, our final topic before kids these days, bathrooms. Let's do a little tone shift. 
Many teachers never thought they'd be thinking about bathrooms as much as they have over the past year or so, ever since school districts in some states started mandating school children use the bathrooms of their sex at birth and not bathrooms corresponding to their gender identity. There was a big development in this ongoing story recently. A federal judge ruled a Virginia school district did, in fact, discriminate against Gavin Grimm, a transgender student who sued because he wanted to use the boys' bathroom at his school. Grimm, who has since graduated and moved on to college, told NPR the decision sets a positive legal precedent for trans students fighting for their rights and recognition at schools across the country. Did want to touch upon this topic briefly before we went to kids these days. Um, Grimm's premise here that this decision is going to have a wider effect on schools. Um, do you agree with that? I mean, do, you, do you think that this is a, a big moment for this particular topic? This is amazing. I'm mm-hmm. so happy for Gavin. In full disclosure, Jason and I did an event with Gavin last year. Huge fans. And I'm so happy for Gavin that he has closure on this now. This has a huge impact on what we do in schools. And I think as an elementary teacher, I spend my entire day going to the bathroom with kids. That's I stand outside the boys' room all day. It's where we have our biggest conversations. It's where we spend our time. And this is a huge issue for students in in buildings. Well, like, they, well, can I, well, can I ask you, since you do spend so much time in bathrooms? I do. Rebecca, or, <laughs> I at least, do. or at least outside of I them. went to college um, a long time, and this is what I do. Um, do you have students who are, are, are in these positions of, 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 of questioning and exploring their own Yes, we do. Um, yes, gender, we do. In my building, we do. And we have talked as a building because we don't have policy guidance to specifically help us, but we have talked as a building as people that have relationships with these students what that's going to look like. And, and what, what does it look what like? What is that? We've done it on a case-by-case basis. So have we. And yeah. Because we we don't have a broad, you know, and it really does need to be case-by-case because each family comes to us with a different ask. And some families want a gender-neutral bathroom. Some families want a unisex situation where we're all together. Some families want one or the other, and you want a binary. So, you know, it. we've done it differently almost every time. But we've done it in partnership with the families and with the entire staff. And then we've had conversations with the students around us. And that is tremendous for us. But I also know how very unusual that is. Well, I think the specific facts of Grimm's case are instructive for this conversation. As a sophomore, he actually had been allowed by his school's administration to use the boys' bathroom. I mean, it had been doing this for several weeks until some parents found out about it and complained. And that's when the Gloucester County School Board in Virginia stepped in and instituted this policy mandating that students use bathrooms conforming to their, and this is the school board's term, biological genders. That's a whole <laughs> other can of worms. We won't get into that. Um, so then uh, Grimm's school, in response to that new policy, set aside a single-stall unisex bathroom as the bathroom he could use, which, Rebecca, as you said, some parents and families at your school have said that's okay. But Grimm, in his lawsuit, argued that that was forcibly segregating him from his peers and was an unnecessary, stigmatizing inconvenience. All that to say that, really, this has been much more than just about bathrooms, right? It's been a lot more about uh, being made to feel like you don't belong. I think it was, it was, it was a central crux of, of, of a lot of his right. arguments. It's, it's a pulling that student out and, and making an other. And the kid's already yeah. emotionally struggling. Exactly. He, he already feels ostracized on the inside. He already feels different. Uh, what he's searching for. And this is such an adult issue anyway because the kids get it. The mm-hmm. kids the don't The kids care. completely understand. The kids don't get it. They just want to get back to whatever yeah. they were doing because they, they don't want to talk about bathrooms. And they've known the kid forever. Right. And so they've already accepted uh, the child for who he or she is. Yeah, and it's been very normalized. Sexual difference and like mm-hmm. LGBTQIA people have been very normalized for, I guess, are we, they're Gen, what are they, Gen Z? I don't know what you call them. I don't know. Just 
young whippersnappers. It's been very normalized for them in a way that it it just hasn't been normalized for, I think, my generation, millennials. It's it's, it's a bit different, but certainly for older generations and for older teachers. And that's something that we just need to get over. Have you guys ever heard of the term gay panic? Mm-hmm. Like the idea, I know that that Gavin is trans, but I, I make a connection in my mind to that because I because I full disclosure, like I wear bow ties to work, for example. So I, I wouldn't call myself gender nonconforming. I just think bow ties look super classy, and bow so bow ties are cool. Bow ties are real cool. Thank yeah. you, Doctor Who reference. Doctor Who, yeah. yes, mm-hmm. yes. Anyway, um, so I wouldn't classify myself as as I don't see myself as like gender nonconforming, though I suppose somebody else would see that because like women don't normally wear bow ties. But anyway, my point is. Um, there's, I wonder to the extent to which, or here's what I, I think kids don't feel gay or trans panic in the same way that I think older generations feel it. And I think, I I, I, I suppose, I, I have a suspicion that that's really where this is coming from. And so from. your kids don't care if you wear a bow tie? Oh, they, they love ask it. You, yeah? yeah, I mean, I've had the number of kids who I've had ask me to teach them how to tie a bow tie because I only ever do self-tie. None of this, like, hook nonsense. Um yeah, it's great. But they, they, they're they like totally cool with it, totally accepting. They give me like style tips. If I'm not looking on point, I get that feedback and some suggestions. Uh, they don't, they like do not care. Stay tuned. We're going to do Kids These Days after the credits. This episode of No Wrong Answers is sponsored by the Kaufman Foundation. No Wrong Answers retains total editorial control. And what our teachers say are their personal opinions, which may not reflect the official policies of the schools and districts they work for. Like us at Facebook, follow us on Twitter, just search for the No Wrong Answers podcast by Fountain City Frequency. Find us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And once you do, subscribe and leave us a review. It helps. There are no other podcasts like ours giving you a teacherly take on the world. If you've enjoyed this conversation, subscribe, leave us a review, and keep the conversation going. Now, kids these days, Maria, you still have kids. You are not out for summer break yet. I do, yeah. So what are your kids into? Uh, I have just a huge shout-out for them. Uh, cu- a couple things. One, we just went to D.C. We take our kids every year on end-of-year trips as a way to, A, have fun and celebrate the end of the year, but, B, also build cultural capital. So we went to Washington, D.C., uh, and I'm very proud to say that we were all super into U.S. history. We did a lot with the Reconstruction Amendments. We did a lot with – we went to the National Museum of African American History and Culture, which if you have not been, you need to go. It is so good. And it was just it was just wonderful to see them get into it and live it and experience it uh, tangibly and, and, like, live out those concepts that we had talked about in class. That was a real treat. Also, my kids are into studying abroad. I'm really happy that 10 of them are going to be traveling the world um, this summer. Cool. Where are they going? All over the place. Uh, we got some going to India, Italy, France, Japan, Nicaragua, and Cuba. We've had kids go to Argentina. Yeah, it's through a program called The Experiment, which is a, a nonprofit that helps broaden kids' horizons and take them on study abroad trips. Awesome. Uh, Rebecca, you are now on summer break. Well, your kids are on summer break, but what were they into before they went on My summer break? My kids left just this past week. I've got another week to go. It's a weird time for, for us at the end of the year. It's really stressful. So it, it's a real ping pong back and forth. We're really <laughs> joyful and excited, and we're all about Fortnite. We're all about that well, dance. Who's not into Fortnite right That now? <laughs> dance that they won't stop doing side to side that has a name that I'm the not. The floss. The floss. Yeah, we're not. The floss. They won't stop doing that. Maybe they will um, stop doing it by the time you come back. No, from no, break. because now they know it aggravates me, so it will never go away. I, I made a mistake and let them know that. Um, they were as glad to see me go as I was to see them. They'll everybody will defuse a little bit and uh, come back and see me. Can you fall. floss? No, no, <laughs> I won't. I don't know why. It's, I, it, I don't get it. 
Jason, your kids are also on summer break. What were they into before they left? Oh, well, actually, we have two more days. Oh, uh, yeah. oh sorry. To- <laughs> it's, it's, it's okay. Uh, my sophomores are into conspiracy theories. And when I asked them what the conspiracies were, they said, that's the conspiracy. Uh, <laughs> and, like a uh, true conspiracy theorist. Yeah. But I'm really excited because this weekend is Casey Pride Weekend. And as a white gay male teacher, uh, my freshmen want to have a day of pride on Wednesday. Woo, so that's I'm awesome. So I'm going to modify their final. They don't know that yet. Uh, and we're going to shorten it up a little bit. And my ally friend here, Rebecca, is going to give me some swag. And uh, we're going to do a day of pride on Wednesday morning. Because uh, the kids have been talking about it for like three weeks now. And this is what they want, and I'm going to give it to them. And this is going to be their, 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 it's the final day of school, it sounds like. Final day of school. Um, And also their final. So, yeah, (laughs) final period of the final day. Uh, Thanks to our teachers this week, Maria Kennedy, Rebecca McIntosh, Jason Staliga. Thanks, as always, to Matt Hodap, who produces the podcast. Thank you to KCUR 89.3, Kansas City Public Radio, where we tape. And remember, kids, be nice to your teachers. (laughs) 